Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Uh, Welcome to week three of our Advent series that we're calling Hope and Joy. Uh, As you heard in the Advent reading, this uh, particular week is the week in Advent where we focus on joy. And uh, we proclaim the joy that we have in the Lord. And and the reality is is we're focusing on these two Advent themes, hope and joy, because uh, I really believe that these are two things that the people of God need to capture uh, in our life and in our world. In the midst of crazy news cycles, in the midst of our own kind of the mess of our own lives, uh, we really need to plug in and capture some hope and some joy as a people of God. Uh, In the first week, uh, we learned that The basis of our hope is the kingship of Christ. Uh, There's lots of other things that are vying for our hope. There's lots of other ways in which uh, and things in which we can ground our hope. But ultimately, Christian hope is grounded in the kingship of Jesus Christ. We learned last week that we are called citizens of heaven by the Apostle Paul in his book to the Philippians. He calls us citizens of heaven, and then as such, we are called to bring the culture of heaven to bear right where we are at. And in a lot of ways, that's our mission. Uh, But our hope is also connected to our mission. We can't separate those two because uh, we are also invited to participate and benefit from the hope that we have in Christ through a community called the church. And so we said this, and I love this, church is the hope refueling station on the way to new creation. Now, recognizing this, of course, the, uh, we, we have to recognize that we, the church, don't always do that perfectly. Uh, in fact, sometimes we don't even do that well, but we keep pressing in, seeking the Spirit, and leaning into each other and refusing to lose hope. And so what I want to do today and this morning is I want to turn our attention to joy. And we said when we started talking about hope that hope is a pretty intangible thing. And the same could be said of joy as well. Uh, Joy is this thing in life that is so intangible, but it's something that we all want. It's something that we all seek. And before we begin our discussion on joy, I think that we should admit together that there are times uh, when joy in our life seems so elusive, right? Uh, Times uh, when life is heavy from carrying so many burdens that we just don't know if we'll be able to come up for air anytime soon. But then there are other times. There are other times in life when joy bubbles up. And sometimes it bubbles up when you least expect it, right? And in those moments of pure joy, the only appropriate response is to say, Alexa, start a dance party, (laughs) right? (laughs) And then you just soak in the goodness of life and the giggles of children. And for a few brief moments, it just doesn't matter what anyone else thinks, because you are just dancing and letting the music move your bones. In those moments of pure bubbling up joy, we have this recognition. Joy brings freedom. Joy brings freedom. Now, the the question that I want to address today is, have we no choice but to wait for joy to bubble up? Is there a way to sustain a level of joy that can see us through any circumstance? And today I want to look at Philippians chapter 3. And and Lila did such a great job of reading to us verses uh, 7 through 11. 
Uh, and so thank you. She's not here, but uh, she's back in our eKids programming. But uh, will you tell Lila that I said thank you uh, for doing a great job of reading our scripture this morning? Uh, seeing kids help lead us in worship and seeing Christmas songs brings joy, doesn't it? I said seeing kids sing Christmas songs brings joy, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right. It's so good. And hearing children read the word of God brings joy. And so let's allow the word of God to speak to us together. I want to provide a little bit of context for the scripture that Lila read. I won't re- reread it. She did a great job. But I do want to provide some context of what's happening before uh, the section that she read. Uh, just before the section that Lila read, uh, Paul is laying out an argument that goes something like this. He says, as Christians, we, we only have a right to boast in Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and therefore, we don't have any reason to put our confidence in the flesh. Uh, but then he says, you know, but if we're, as long as we're talking about confidence in the flesh, he says, actually, uh, I have plenty of reasons to do so, <laughs> which is an interesting thing, right? In fact, what he does is he goes on to list a whole bunch of spiritual uh, accomplishments. He says, I come from the tribe of Benjamin, which is a way of saying, I come from the best group. And then he says, uh, regarding the law, I am a Pharisee, which is a way of saying, I am among the smartest. So I come from the best group. I am among the smartest. And then he says, uh, as far as righteousness according to the law, I am faultless which is a way of saying I am the absolute best at following the rules, right? And all of you straight, narrow road rule followers said amen, right? And then there's a whole other group of you that said rules are meant to be broken. (laughs) And so Paul essentially says, I come from the best group and I'm among the smartest and I am the best at following the rules. It's like Paul is looking in the mirror and saying, I am good enough, I am smart enough, and doggone it, people like me, right? And, and, this is, and then he says, and this is what Lila read to us, he says, but whatever I have counted as gain, I consider loss for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ. And that's when the passage really takes a turn. You never see that coming. I mean, Paul is getting his brag on, right? And, and then all of a sudden he says, yeah, but all of that stuff I consider loss. In fact, he says, I call them garbage for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ. Well, this passage is actually filled with uh, profit and loss language, language of profit and loss. Uh, Are you familiar with that, profit and loss? Uh, Companies, uh, it's a business term. Companies sell a product or a service at a price, but they have to sell it at a price which allows them to make a profit. Uh, And of course, in order to provide that service or, or sell that good, they have to have some sort of investment in it because there are costs to that good or service. And so goods have to be purchased or manufactured and then shipped uh, in order to be sold on the store shelves on Black Friday, right? Uh, but providing a service also requires a, a financial investment. You have to get trained, get an education. You have to get all of these things in order to professionally provide this service to people. Uh, and we try, to, um, we try to teach our kids about profit and loss uh, when they run a lemonade stand at garage sales in the summer. Uh, I'm a mean parent, right? I mean, at Halloween, when they get all the candy, I, I teach them about tithe. 10% goes to the father, you know? Uh, that's a mean thing to do. And then when they run lemonade stands, I, I teach them about profit and loss. And I say, uh, sure, you made $20 of sales from uh, lemonade. Great job. That's amazing. But... Now you need to pay for the cups and the lemonade 
and the markers and the poster board and table rental, right? Because dads don't just give away tables for lemonade stands. There's a rental price, right? And so actually you made 50 cents each, right? This is profit and loss. You, you, you know, you, if, you, if, you're don't ha- if you're not happy with your profit, raise the price of the lemonade so you can increase your profit. So that's, that's profit and loss. And, and we try to do our best to teach our kids about stuff like that. Uh, but of course, the goal for every for-profit business is to have more in the profit column than in the loss column. Otherwise, they go the way of Blockbuster, right? Uh, that's, you know, if you don't have enough profit, uh, then you go out of business. And that's just how it is. And then everyone has Netflix and, and you wonder what happened, right? Well, here's, uh, some of you are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but some of you are like, I've had Netflix for so long, I don't even know what Blockbuster is. Um, so here, here's my point. I wonder how many of us operate our lives in the same way. I, I wonder how many of us measure our value and our joy according to a profit and loss statement of our lives. And so we just kind of like take stock of our lives. We take inventory of our life and we, we divide things up and we say this goes in the profit column and this goes in, in the loss column. And, and ultimately what we're looking for is to have more profits than losses in our lives. Things like, uh, okay, I, I have reached the threshold where I have more friends on Facebook than people I actually know. Let's put that in the profit column. Or we might say, um, you know what, I was unfriended and so let's put that in the loss column. Or my Instagram post got 100 likes. Let's put that in the profit column. Or I put something out there and it was just like, it just drifted off into space and no one said anything else ever about it. No likes, no, no hearts on my picture. I mean, this is heartbreaking. This is a loss, right? I can see that you're thinking I need to be a little bit more serious. Well, let's do that. How about profit? We say, hey, there's a promotion at work or... Or maybe you look at your life and you've, you've been in the game a little while and you find very little career advancement and all of a sudden you start measuring your value based on how well you've climbed the corporate ladder. You say, man, it's a loss because I just don't have a lot, of, a lot of career advancement. Maybe, well, here are some things that you might put in the profit column, that you live in a nice neighborhood, your kids go to a nice school, you're well-liked or popular at work or school, you have a a wealthy family, you're not always looking to see where the money is going to come at the end of the month, but you have enough to live comfortably. Or or maybe here's a profit, you drive a Subaru with Bluetooth calling and a backup camera, and you're like, yeah, life is good. Here's a loss, you drive a beat-up Honda with a tape player. (laughs) Or another loss man, I'm struggling with addiction or I have a sense of failure from the things I've just really messed up. Or maybe a loss is my social life consists of going to Target on a Friday night. (laughs) You can tell I'm trying to be a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but I think the reality is that many of us operate our lives with this kind of profit and loss mindset and we're always trying to increase what we would put on the profit side, what we consider to be a, a, a win or a gain. And then we're always doing our best and, and, and really 
grinding away at life to try to avoid any losses in the loss column. And so that ultimately we can say, you know what, at the end of the day, I've got, I've got more things in the profit column than in the loss column. And then we, then we measure our value and our worth according to that. And we say things like, man, if I've got more things in the profit column, then I must be loved, I must be valuable, I must be somebody. If we take inventory of our life and we consider that we have more things in the lost column, we say, man, I don't have any value. Nobody has any reason to love me because look at all these losses. Look at all these things. And I, I admit that this is a little bit oversimplistic, but I think this is where a lot of us live. Constantly trying to assign value according to a virtual profit, profit and loss statement of our lives. This is actually part of the genius of this uh, uh, sitcom called um, The Good Place. You ever seen The Good Place? I don't think it's very well known, but it's, a, it's an absolutely genius show. And part of the premise is that uh, the, these folks um, die uh, and, then, and then go to the good place. But they, and, and they're told that the way they ended up in the good place is, is, is exactly this. All of their good deeds... Uh, have point values and all of their bad deeds have negative point values. And so at the end of life, the goal is to have uh, a certain collection or treasury of, of good point value. And if you reach a certain mark, then you go to the good place. If you don't, then you go to the bad place, right? What's genius about, don't trip over that cord. It's not moving. Um, what the genius of the show is that uh, they begin to feel really out of place as they take stock of their life, as they take inventory of their life. They begin to feel really out of place, re- re- kind of thinking, I don't know that I should really be in the good place. I think part of the reason that that show hits such a resonance is because in some way, that's what we're doing all the time is, is taking an inventory of our life and trying to stack up more and more achievements. And, and here, here's what I think Paul has to say about that viewpoint of life or that framework of life is, is Paul's argument in this passage is if you want to play that game, if you want to play the profit and loss game, then guess what? Paul says, I've got you all beat. <laughs> to which the competitive people say, oh, well, no, no, you don't, right? Let's go for it, right? But it's like Paul, Paul essentially says, I can put more things in the profit column than you can. I've achieved religious, religious perfection. I've gotten high marks on everything I've done. I've got certificates and awards and diplomas lining the walls of my office. And actually, Paul says, I've started a church planting enterprise and for the everyday low price of $1,495, you can be a successful church planter too. Okay, he didn't say all that. But then he says, but everything that I've considered and everything that I can list on the prophet side, what I've done is, is I've moved it over to the, to the lost side for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ. What does Paul mean? Is Paul saying that any good things that come to us in life are actually, uh, actually really stink? No, Paul is not saying that. But what Paul is saying is, is that anything that those things can bring to me pale in comparison to what I have in knowing Christ. I want us to hear that. Whatever it is that you put in the, in the profit column, in the gains column of your life, and whatever you feel that those things can bring you, Paul says what I have in Christ pales in comparison to that. 
That what I have in Christ is so much larger and so much bigger and so much more significant than anything that what is over in this column can bring me. And so he says, actually, in comparison to Christ, all of these things might as well be moved over to the lost column. Because stacking up accomplishments and profits in my life can't offer Paul what he already has and what is already his in Christ. We're talking about joy this morning, and here's the principle that I want to cement into your minds and in your hearts. And can I tell you that, uh, can I give you a public service announcement? Preachers aren't perfect. Preachers aren't perfect. And so I've, I've tried to allow this, this message, this core message, to percolate in my own heart. Because I can tell you there are plenty of times in my life where I, I operate primarily out of a mindset and framework of profit and loss. My family will tell you that more than anyone. But here's, here's the message that I've been trying to just allow to take root in my heart, and it's this. Joy comes from what I've received in Christ, not what I have achieved in life. We need some joy this Advent season, right? And here's what it is. Joy comes from what I've received in Christ, not from what I have achieved in life. And if we're operating out of a profit and loss mindset, we're gonna be totally focused on my joy and my value is determined on having more and more stuff in the profit column. And Paul says, throw that whole system away. And, and move over to this other framework, this other viewpoint of life that says the joy that is yours comes from what you have received in Christ. In other words, what I have achieved in life does not compare to what I have received in Christ. For in Christ we have received mercy, we have received unconditional love and forgiveness and embrace and belonging. In Christ we have received adoption hope and resurrection. In Christ, we have received grace and divine presence. In Christ, we have received value that is not attached in any way to achievement. And church, that is good news in our world because we live in a world that is achievement-based. You are value in so much as what you do. That's what our jobs tell us, right? You're like, how am I supposed to believe that? Because Monday through Friday, my boss says, I got to start pulling my weight around here or I'm not worth anything. And it's easy to begin to attach that to our worth as a person. And Paul says, let's throw the whole system away and just begin to rest in what we have received in Christ. See, the idea is if we are spinning and spinning and going at 100 miles an hour trying to achieve things in life, we are looking for something, right? And here's a really good exercise. If you find yourself chasing something, ask, what am I chasing? What am I trying to get out of this thing? And here's Paul's point. What you're trying to get out of that thing is already yours in Christ. You've already received it. (laughs) And that's good news. In fact, Paul says, in Christ we have been given the following status, right? We're looking for status. And Paul says, in Christ, uh, you have been given the following status. And here it is. Are you ready for this? You are a child of God. <laughs> That's good. 
And if we, if we read the context into the, if we, if we read Paul's letter and sort of reverse engineer uh, the context that he's talking about, we can get a clue that some were trying to obtain the status of child of God through obedience to the law. They were trying to earn God's love through rule following. They were trying to have this mindset of, I got to get my stuff together before I come to God, or I got to kick this addiction before really letting God in. I got to get my life straightened out before I start going to church and all of that stuff. And Paul just says, no, 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 no. The status child of God has been given to you as a gift based on the faithfulness of Christ. Notice what I said there. This has been given to you as a gift based on the faithfulness of Christ. And how often we want to say, this has been given to me as a gift based on my own faithfulness. Right? How often do we want to say that? But that's not what it says. Based on the faithfulness of Christ, you have been given this gift and you have been brought up and elevated and promoted to this status. You are a child of God. Christ stood in the gap for you. He lived faithfully for you. He took on sin for you. You you have been given the status as child of God because what Christ has done on your behalf. And so now we simply put your faith in his faithfulness. And this is a real shift in framework, right? This is a real shift in framework to begin to understand that my achievements are swallowed up in Christ. My achievements are swallowed up in Christ. What if we made this kind of shift? If we began to really recognize that all the things that I put in the profit and achievement column of my life are swallowed up in Christ, then my goal becomes different. Now all of a sudden my goal is not to begin to stack up all these things, but now my goal is to abide in him. To abide in Christ. What, what, what if we had such a dramatic shift in framework that, that we began to, to move from, I want to achieve all of these things in order to elevate myself to a certain status to I just want to abide in Christ. My pastor told me I shouldn't do very well at work. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> you should work hard. You should go for it. But don't attach your value to that, Right? but rather attach your value to what you have received in Christ and abiding in him. And so I just want to ask, like, what if you stopped trying to do all the right things all the right time and focused instead on receiving his love and his grace? That would change everything. And I think it's a change that we need to make. Well, I've, I've often told you that I want to be an honest preacher and I want to be a good preacher and I want to be a practical preacher. I want to, I want to be a preacher that you can leave and say, yeah, that makes sense. I, I, now I kind of know what I should go and do. And so as I was thinking about this this week, there was, there was, a, there was one question that just came coming up in my own mind as I was thinking about this. And the, and the question was, well, how can I live effectively into this new framework? How can I really go from the, from the head knowledge of, yeah, 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 everything that I've once counted as gain is now I count for loss for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ, amen, in my head, to really living that out. And here, here's, here's, what the, um, here's what I found out. I don't really know. <laughs> and it's really hard. 
How's that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like you can't tweet that, but that's reality, right? Like that's, that's where, like how do you make that shift? The truth is, as your pastor, I don't really know. And I do know it's really hard. But I also think this. I think it has something to do with the narrative that we follow in our lives. I think it has something to do with the narratives that we follow in our life. There's a French philosopher that once said, I cannot answer the question, what am I to do, until I have first answered the prior question, of which story am I a part? That's a really, really insightful thing. I can't answer the question, what am I to do, until I answer the prior question, of what story am I a part? His point was, of course, was that we don't, we don't in life just take in stories through media, but we actually live stories out. The stories are essential to our life and to our being. That every one of us has fallen into a narrative, and then the way in which we're living our lives is we're carrying that narrative out. This has all kinds of things to do with religion and family of origin. It's like really nuanced and super complicated. But the reality is that all of us find ourselves within a story. And then we are playing that out in what we do. And I can tell you that the driving narrative, that if the driving narrative of your life is the story of American achievement then you will likely live your life always seeking to accomplish more, comparing then your accomplishments to others. And as soon as you compare your accomplishments to others, you will likely begin to measure your value based on what you have accomplished. I am valuable based on what I have done. And if, that, if, if your driving narrative of your life is the narrative of American achievement, you will live your life like this. And I think perhaps the best picture of this is a hamster running in a wheel. There is no end to this narrative. There is no rest in this narrative. And there is little satisfaction when we live in this story. So we need to make a shift. This is why Advent is so powerful is because it's the start of the the liturgical year, the Christian calendar. And the whole reason that we follow the Christian calendar is so that we can begin to tell the story of time and mark time by a narrative, right? Have you ever noticed that if you start the liturgical calendar in Advent and you follow it all the way through to Pentecost and the birth of the church, what you have done is you have retold the narrative of the life of Christ and you have marked time through the narrative of the life of Christ. And in so doing, you're at least kind of pulling yourself into this other narrative, this narrative of the gospel story. Because listen, when, if the driving narrative of our life is the story of the gospel, then we will realize that based on the faithfulness of Christ and the salvation of the cross, the world has been refounded on an axis of love. And so now the point of the story is not to outdo your neighbor, but to love your neighbor. That's a huge shift. American achievement, outdo your neighbor. Gospel narrative, love your neighbor. Right? And so now the point is, of the story is not to outdo your neighbor, but to love your neighbor. And we enter, in, in, in the gospel story, we don't enter into competition with the other, but we enter into partnership with the other. 
that all of a sudden those who are not like us don't stand fundamentally against us and therefore we are in competition with them. But now in the gospel narrative, that, that diversity is this beautiful gift of Jesus Christ and so now we, we enter into partnership with those who are not like us and we begin to hear their voices and we begin to listen to the voices of the oppressed and all of these kinds of things, right? And, and all of a sudden that preacher's starting to sound a whole bunch like scripture, <laughs> Because that's what the gospel narrative is about. And in this narrative, I am infinitely loved by the creator and therefore able to give love to my neighbor. Right? In the gospel narrative, recognizing how deeply loved I am by the creator God himself sets me free to love my neighbor rather than enter into competition with them. Because it becomes really, really hard to to truthfully and authentically love people if we don't first receive the love that God has for us, the infinite love that God has for us. And so in this narrative, I'm infinitely loved by the creator and can therefore give my love to neighbor. And now all the stuff that achievement brings me is certainly okay, right? It's not bad stuff. But it certainly feels like a cheap substitute for the real thing, right? That when, we're, when the gospel becomes a primary narrative of our life, it's like, yeah, I can be generous and I can also have some stuff, that's okay. And I can, I can hold those two in kind of perfect Holy Spirit-inspired balance. Uh, but, but then as long as I'm not attaching my value to those things, as long as I'm not looking to these things and the accumulation of these things for my, wor- my own worth, my own value, but rather am resting in the love that God has for me. And I was thinking about an image to contrast the hamster wheel. And I just couldn't help and I couldn't shake that perhaps the best picture of a life lived according to the gospel narrative is a table. (laughs) It's a table filled with food and loved ones where you are unconditionally loved and secure. And the truth is, is around the holidays, we can't necessarily find that around our family tables, right? Unconditionally loved and secure. But there is a table where you can find that. And it's the table that we gather around every single week. That no matter where you come from, no matter what walk of life, no matter your economic status, no matter the language you speak or the color of your skin, all the things that would divide us out there, brought in here. We gather around the table and we say here, we not only remember Jesus Christ's death and resurrection for us, but we, in remembering those things, we also proclaim and embody the truth that every single one of you are unconditionally loved and invited to be secure in the love that God has for you. That's a beautiful picture. And so today we we have really an option. Do we want to be a hamster and climb on the wheel and achieve, 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 achieve? Or do we want to take a seat around a table and experience the love of the Father and then share the love of the Father with other people? I have to tell you, um, 
there are a lot of things of which I am very uncertain. When it comes to faith or theology or life or whatever, there are tons of things of which I am uncertain, but there is one picture that has captured me to the core. And it is this picture of the resurrection of Christ and the table of a world made new. I, for all of my uncertainty, I, I can't shake belief in well, the gospel narrative that says God is coming to make all things new and he invites all people around this table. And so I press on and I carry on. Then there's a really important part to this passage, and I'm almost done. (laughs) Famous last words, right? I would not have liked Paul if he did not say this next part. I would have been like, "You're you're just riding your brag train into next week, and I just, I can't be a part of that. But here's what he says. Not that I have attained all of this. To which I said, amen, brother. Now you're living on my level. (laughs) Right? He says, not that I have attained all of this. Here's what Paul understands. Paul understands that his life in Christ is a process, not a project. And that's a really important distinction because projects often have a clear beginning and a clear ending point. Uh, Projects at my house have a clear beginning and clear ending. It was begun, worked on, neglected for a little while. I said that for all you project, home project workers out there. And then it was completed. And then it was checked off my list, right? It was like one day the bathroom looked like this. I destroyed it. And then I somehow, through the grace of God and the help of YouTube, rebuilt it, right? And now it's done and we enjoy it. It was a project that had a, complete, a, a very clear beginning and a very clear ending. Here's what Paul wants to say. Your life in Christ is not like that. And I would be willing to bet that if we have an achievement mindset to life, we're going to approach our life in Christ as a project because I want to achieve this, right? And so I want to maybe achieve a certain status in the church or achieve this or achieve, you know, I, I, once, uh, I once had someone, this is a real story, I once had someone tell me, um, you know what, I, I don't think, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna wait until that day to accept Christ. Like, I'm just planning on it. I'm gonna, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's on my list uh, for that day. And then, it, it, sure enough, came to that day, there was a big event, we went with them, they accepted Christ, check it off the list. They were viewing their life in Christ as a project. I, I can't really start that until that day, uh, but then I'm gonna check it off the list and then be done. And thank God that they came to know Christ. But there's something really, really important that we need to know, and that is your life in Christ is not, a, is not a project. It's a process. And Paul says, not that I have achieved all of this, right? But he says, I keep pressing on. I love that. I keep pressing on. I keep pressing in. Which is a way of saying this. There may be times when you measure joy based on your profit and loss statement. There may be times when you do that. But you press into the truth that will remind you that your joy is not in stacking up achievements. 
but your joy is what you have received in Christ. Amen? Amen. May we be a people of joy this Advent season. Let's pray together and I'll lead us to the table. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this word that, um, that I know I needed. And so God, I pray that you would help each and every one of us to measure our joy by what we've received in you. God, we confess together as a faith community that this seems some days impossibly hard. We live in such an achievement culture. But God, may the words of Paul resound loudly in our heart. Not that we've achieved all of this, not that we do this perfectly, but God, we press on. We keep leaning in to these truths. We keep leaning in to all that you have for us. And God, this Advent season and and all the days to come, may our joy be firmly rooted in you and what we have received in you. Lord, we love you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.